0: you take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Colossians chapter 3? Colossians chapter 3. Continuing with our series in Colossians, we arrive at verse 22 today. I shared with you a few weeks ago about this quote from David Powlison who writes that All of us, all of us, he says, are called to major on submission within some relationships and to major on initiating love within others. We find this to be very true of the, the marriage relationship, which we saw a few verses earlier. We find this to be very true of the parent and child relationship. It's also true in the workplace with workers and employers that each of us is called to major on submission within some relationships, and each of us is called to major on love within other relationships. Let's go together and look at Colossians chapter 3, beginning with verse 22. We'll read through chapter 4, verse 1, where we're going to see the relationships in the workplace addressed by Paul here. And we should see together today where there are, in some ways, uh, we are responsible for majoring on submission in the workplace, and others have the responsibility of majoring on love in the workplace. Let's look at Colossians 3, verse 22 and following. Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. In chapter 4, verse 1, "...Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a Master in heaven." Father in heaven, this morning we come before Your Holy Word and we ask for Your guidance and Your wisdom and Your instruction and the instruction of Your Holy Spirit living out Your Word in this world in which we live. We need Your guidance and Your help father i pray that you would help us to be a people who who love your word and abide by your word and find great hope and strength in your word and lord we often find correction from your word too to help us be corrected in the way we live lord help us to take your correction willingly readily ready to to obey you father we thank you for your word the clarity of it for us and the the application of it to our lives in this world in which we live. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Verse 22 says, Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Can we note the obvious here that Paul is addressing slaves and we go, huh? Slaves? Slavery? Slaves obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. They're... Besides the obvious, there were those who were slaves. I think it's interesting for us to think about the fact that there were slaves and masters present in the church together. This would have been the only place in Roman society where they were on equal ground in the church. The presence of both slaves and masters in the church put them on equal footing because they are equal in the eyes of the Lord. Commentators note that eventually conditions and attitudes in that society changed towards slavery. And eventually things changed and slavery was removed from the Roman Empire. There was uh, interestingly enough, there was no outbreak of violence. There had been in, re- in rebellion to slavery in years earlier, but but what overcame slavery was not an outbreak of violence. It wasn't out, outright rebellion, but over time, it was the preaching and teaching of the equality of of people in Christ that changed the atmosphere in the Roman Empire, and slaves were eventually freed. Today, we don't use the term slaves and we don't like the term slaves do we we kind of cringe when we think about slavery but it's it's true for us today that, that we still have those who are masters over us don't we those of you in the workplace have people we call employers or bosses or supervisors right that's your master and you are not termed a slave but you are subservient to the boss, right? Because you give him, yourself to, to him or her for your 40 or 60 hours a week, and you say, I'm going to come and I'm going to work for you and you're going to pay me, but I'm going to do what you say. Today, we should be applying this passage to ourselves in the workplace. Workers. You could say workers instead of slaves Today, Workers, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters or employers or, or bosses or supervisors, right? But we would say, well, how how do we obey? Are we supposed to obey in everything and what do we obey? Aren't there some stipulations? I mean, for, for Pete's sake, I've got an employer who is the most ungodly person you've ever met. Am I to obey him in everything? how were slaves to obey their masters? What does Paul say? He says, in everything. Sounds fairly all-conclusive, doesn't it? Paul certainly, and let's not go so far as to say that Paul was suggesting that they, that they obey in things that were unrighteous. Paul certainly wasn't suggesting they were to obey in ways that were immoral or against God's laws. But still, the work that they were asked to do the work of a slave in that day could have been very demanding, physically very difficult. And they were called to put themselves into that work in every way obedient to those who were their masters. A very difficult and demanding task they may be given. And Paul challenges them that they are to obey their earthly masters in all their work. And he gives further clarification, not by way of eye service, you know what that is, don't you? "...not by way of eye service, as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord." Let's break it down for a little bit here and think about this statement. Not with eye service. We've probably all done eye service at one time or another. We all know what that's like, right? It means you're more motivated to work hard when the boss comes into the room, right? Right? You get busy all of a sudden and your productivity shoots up when He's kind of behind you and can observe what you're doing. And Paul says that Christian workers are to work as if the boss is watching. Those who follow Christ are to work as if the boss is right beside you. Not with eye service. Oh, he's gone. I can slack off a little bit. I can take it easy. Paul says that Christian workers are to work as if the boss is watching at all times not only when he really is watching. I love the illustration that uh, Ray Stedman shares of a missionary to Africa who came back and shared with him the story. Ray Stedman says, years ago, a missionary to Africa told me that he was responsible for getting the nationals in his area to do certain jobs. He discovered that they were all rather lazy and would only perform while he was actually watching them. When he left, they would stop work and do nothing until he returned. This this man had a glass eye, and uh, one day when his eye was irritating him, he took it out and put it on a stump. And when he returned, he found that everybody was still working because the eye was on them. <laughs> and as they thought they were, they thought the eye was watching them all the while he was away. That is that is what the apostle means here: eye service, working only when the boss is watching. This man thought he had found a great way to free himself until one day he returned to discover that one of the workers had sneaked around from behind and put his hat over the eye. And everyone was lounging around enjoying themselves. That's eye service, says Grace Stedman We know what eye service is, don't we? Followers of Christ ought to be serving their masters and their bosses and their employers and those who oversee them with faithfulness whether they're in the room or not. Why is that? Well, because there is someone who does see us at all times, isn't there? Christian workers should also remember that they are serving God, right? We don't just serve men. We don't just serve women. Those who employ us, we're serving God. You, you may be employed by a person who is an unbeliever, but you are really working to please God. As a Christian, your work is always and always will be for God. Have you ever stopped to think about your work actually being done for God? We all tend to think of our work being for the paycheck on Friday, right? But our work is actually being done, it should be done, for God's glory. And as a ministry to God. And as, as a work done to God. That's why Paul adds that believers are to serve their earthly masters, verse 22, with sincerity of heart fearing the Lord. Sincerity of heart means that you do your work diligently, you do your your work completely, you do your work promptly, even when no one is watching, and you do your work fearing the Lord out of respect for the Lord, knowing that though your boss or earthly master may or may not see you, your heavenly Father or heavenly Master does see you at all times. And Paul goes even further in verse 23 where he says, look at it with me again, he says, whatever you do, work heartily because your master will be pleased with you. Right? No. Work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. Don't work solely to please your employer. Work primarily to to please God. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men. You know, as followers of Christ, we need to always keep in mind that our service is always for God. Our service is always to be done for His glory. That means leaving this place and going into the world in which we live to do our work. That work is to be done to bring glory to God. Romans 11.36 reminds us that for from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Charles Spurgeon notes, to Him be glory forever on that thought from a Roman, Romans 11.36. He says, this should be the single desire of the Christian. All other wishes must be subservient and serve as tributaries to this. The Christian may wish for prosperity in his business, but only inasmuch as it may help him to promote this, to him be glory forever. He may desire to attain more gifts and more graces, but it should only be that he may declare, to him be glory forever. You are not acting as you ought to do when you are moved by any other motive than a single focus on the Lord's glory. As a Christian, you are from Him and through Him, and so you must live to Him. Do not let anything set your heart beating so fast as love for God. Let this ambition fire your soul. May this be the foundation of every enterprise upon which you enter. And your sustaining motive, whenever your zeal would grow cold, make God your object. Your only object. Depend upon it. Because where self begins, sorrow begins. And Spurgeon says, Let your desire for God's glory be a growing desire. I would encourage you to pray that way. If you find that you don't work for God's glory, that you ask that, you, that He would give you a burning desire to make His glory your purpose in life. You see, God's glory was to be the motivating factor for those who were slaves. Not their own comfort. Not even their own freedom. That wasn't to be their purpose. Their purpose was to bring God glory. And the same is true for us today. Nothing has changed. It is for God's glory that we work hard. It is for God's glory that we we do our work diligently. That we go above and beyond. And we do so for God's glory. The same is true for us today. Not so much to please the boss as it is to glorify God. To bring great glory to the name of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But you might say, what What if I have a boss who is completely unfair? But what if I have someone who completely treats me without any respect whatsoever, doesn't appreciate anything I do, I work very hard, I go above and beyond at all times, and he doesn't give me any recognition whatsoever? What if the boss criticizes me even for my faith? What if he criticizes me for wanting to do what's right no matter what? What if my boss ridicules me or belittles me in front of others? What if he shames me and makes me look like a peon in front of my peers? Paul addresses that too. Look at verse 24. Verse 24 says, "Knowing You do your service knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your your reward. You serve God knowing that from the lord you will receive the inheritance the inheritance as your reward you are serving the lord christ and verse 25 for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done and there is no partiality listen says paul don't ever forget that as followers of christ you will receive an inheritance an inheritance from god and his his reward is out of this world. You're serving Christ, and Christ is the one you are to please, and Christ is the one who will reward you. And as servants of Christ, we must never forget, says Paul, that we are always to respond in every situation that is, that is, that is in a way to glorify God. Is that easy? No, that's not easy, is it? but 1 Peter chapter 2 verses 18 through 20 reminds us how we are to respond even to unjust treatment. How should we respond when we are mistreated and maligned? 1 Peter 2:18 Servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle but also to the unjust. Hey, the one who's mistreating you? Show them respect. Verse 19, 1 Peter 2, For this is a gracious thing, when, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. You might be saying, Well, wait a minute, I'm being treated unfairly, unjustly. This is just not right. And if you are treating if you're being treated unfairly and unjustly, it's a gracious thing that you return unjust treatment with gracious words and respect. If when you do good, Peter says, and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. God takes mercy on those who in the face of unjust treatment don't return injustice, but return gracious words and respect. That's not easy, is it? But that's what we're called to as followers of Christ. Christ. And we have the perfect example in Jesus Christ who took the punishment on the cross for our sins. Jerry Bridges, in his book uh, we recently added to the library, Respectable Sins, says this about Peter's words. Peter's instructions to slaves are a specific application, speaking of the passage here in 1 Peter 2, Peter's instructions to slaves are a specific application of a broader scriptural principle we are to respond to any unjust treatment as mindful of God. To be mindful of God means to think of God's will and God's glory. How would God have me respond in this situation? How can I best glorify God by my response? Do I believe that this difficult situation or this unjust treatment is under the sovereign control of God and that in His infinite wisdom and goodness, He is using these difficult circumstances to conform me more to the likeness of Christ? He goes on to say, I'm realistic enough to know that in the emotional heat of a tense situation, we are not going to go through a checklist of questions such as those that I've just mentioned. But we can and should develop the habit of thinking this way. Oftentimes, our immediate response to an unjust action of someone else will be sinful anger. This is certainly true of me says Bridges, but in the after moments of a difficult episode, we can choose to continue to hold on to our anger or we can reflect on such questions as I've given and allow the Holy Spirit to dissolve our anger. Hmm. Respect is what we are to return those who are our employers our bosses our supervisors in return for even unjust treatment controlling our anger controlling our lash our, our response to lash out our net our natural instinct is to do that isn't it we need to remember and never forget that the one who does wrong We need to put it in God's hands and to trust that God is the ultimate and best judge of all things and never forget that God will take care of them. God will take care of them and their injustice. Just make sure that it's not you that's doing the wrong. Because God is impartial. We see it right here in Colossians, don't we? God doesn't play favorites. If it's your boss who's mistreating you, God will take care of giving him just judgment. If it's you who are doing wrong, God will see to your failure to obey your boss. And not only are you disobeying your employer, you are also disobeying God. And God is the righteous judge. God is the just judge. Verse 25 says, For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. We are to do right no matter what wrong is done to us. We have this reminder from Hebrews chapter 10, verse 30. For we know Him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge His people. In verse 31 it says, It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. God is a just judge. He's in control. We don't need to worry ourselves with justice so much as trusting God to do justice. Believers in the workplace are to obey those who employ them and those who have authority over them in the workplace. And when your work is done for God's glory, it makes your work a ministry also. You ever look at your work as a ministry? It always concerns me just a little bit when people say, oh, you know, I think it would be neat to be in a ministry. <laughs> I think it would be nice to be in a ministry somewhere. I'll tell you what. You're in a ministry. you in the workplace. you in your own community, in your own neighborhood. When you do your shopping, you're a minister for Jesus Christ. And you are to do your ministry for God's glory. You're to do your work in the workplace for God's glory. That is your ministry. To magnify God in the eyes of men and women in this world who know nothing of their need for a Savior, or know of it and rebel against God. They need to see you obey God and glorify Him with your work. If you are a follower of Christ, you are a minister of Christ in the workplace. And Paul addresses those who are masters also. Chapter 4, verse 1. Masters, treat your slaves justly and fairly knowing that you also have a master in heaven. We need to remember, as Pallison says, all of us are called to major on submission within some relationships and to major on initiating love within others. The slave then, the employee or worker now, is to submit to the master, the employer. And the master had then, and the employer has now, a duty to fulfill also, But pause with me for a moment here. Workers, I warn you that as employees, you cannot use a failure on the boss's part to fulfill his or her duty as an excuse for you to not fulfill your duty. And Christian employers and bosses, you must not use an employee's failure to submit to your authority as an excuse for mistreatment on them. The duty of the Christian employer or boss is to major on love toward those whom they employ or oversee. God's command through Paul's pen is that those who are employers or bosses are to treat their employees justly and to do right by them and to treat them fairly. As a matter of fact, Christian employers should even go further than what they've agreed to with their employees. They should go be above and beyond what, a, what an ungodly employer would do for his employees. And they are to do so for God's glory also. They are to do so for God's glory, never forgetting that God is their master. They must submit to God. An employer, a boss, a business owner may have those whom he needs to show the love of God to, but he needs to submit to God. They must major on love toward their employees, just as Christ loves the church and gave himself for the church. You, if you are a business owner, employer, a boss, a supervisor, you must love those who are under your watch care. Love them toward Christ. Love them for God's glory. Love them even if they do have and attitude love them even if they do seem to not enjoy their work as they should right love them toward Christ employers love employees for God's glory and submit yourself to God because he is your heavenly master when my parents moved to Ohio recently, my mother gave up a job working for a wonderful Christian employer. She never had anything bad to say about her employer, ever. Always very good things to say, and, I, and, and to hear the, the things that the, the, the employer did for her and the other employees was an amazing thing to me. She was an office manager for a construction company, and overwhelmingly the guys that worked there were unbelievers, but the owner is a Christian. And the owner went out of his way to treat his employees fairly and, and, and uh, went above and beyond the call of duty, as, as we might say. I remember my mom telling me about uh, at Thanksgiving or different times of the year, the, the owner of the company would have a company party. And he would say, We're stopping at noon, you're all getting paid for the rest of the afternoon, we're going to have a party. And he would have a party, and they'd have prizes, expensive prizes, and give away cash and things like that. I was like, My word, where's this employer at? Does he need anybody? He But this Christian employer went above and beyond to show the love of Christ to his employees. And he did so for God's glory. He does so for God's glory. That's the way it should be. Business owners, employers, supervisors, you serve for God's glory. You submit yourself to God and you love those whom you oversee. You see, we must all Major, as Pallison says, we all must major on submission in some relationships. We all must submit to God. And there are some relationships in which we must submit to someone else. Employees, that's true for you. Children, that's true for you to your parents. Wives, that's true for you in the marriage relationship to your husband. Those in the church submit to the authority of those in the church in their leadership. It's true that we all must submit in some relationships. It's also true that in in some relationships, all of us must show love. It's so true for the employer, for the company owner, for the business owner who wants to glorify God to show love to those whom he oversees. It's true for the parent in the parent-child relationship we saw a couple of verses ago, that the parent shows love to the child. It's true in the marriage relationship that the husband loved his wife as Christ loves the church and gave himself up for the church. Submission and love. We see it throughout this passage as we began studying in verse 18 and through the remainder of chapter 3 and even the beginning of chapter 4, verse 1. We are all called to major on submission in some relationships and to major on love in others. Why? That's our calling as followers of Christ. And we do so for God's glory. Amen? Let's pray. Father in Heaven, we need Your help in this. Submission and love don't necessarily come naturally for us, but You have given us the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit when we trust in You as Lord and Savior, when we come to You confessing our need of a Savior and our sin and asking for Your forgiveness You instantly give us Your Holy Spirit. You instantly save us from the penalty of our sin. And You instantly give us the indwelling, perfect presence of the Holy Spirit to help us be these people that we see Paul talking about in Colossians that we need to be. Lord, help us to learn what true love is. How to love others as Christ loves us. Lord, help us to truly learn what it is to submit for God's glory not not to please people but to please you and for your glory that people would see that, that you are a loving and holy and just God that people would see that your precious word that you've given us is, is true and necessary and completely sufficient for our lives today Lord help us to glorify you in all that we do may those who work work for your glory Respect those in authority over them and work for your glory. May those who employ or oversee help them to love those whom they oversee or employ for your glory. And Lord, may your glory be seen in your church and in your community because as the body of Christ, we leave this place to go into this community to live for your honor and glory in the week ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.